thanks for joining us for an episode of A Word on Teaching. I'm Susan Hall. And I'm Kathy Bataro. And today we're going to be talking about play. Well, I'm delighted to welcome our guest today, Deepti Karod, uh, who's an assistant professor in the Dreben School of Education, where she uh, prepares the teachers of young children. Deepti's area of scholarship is play. And we're all living in such stressful times that we decided who better to talk with than a colleague who understands the role of play. So Deepti, to start us off, uh, what are a couple valuable things you've learned about the important benefits of play? Well, you talked about stressful times, Susan. And so I think that's a great, great place to start. And I think when we are thinking about play, we typically think of young children. And when we do that, we tend to think about things like releasing energy or, you know, all that excess steam they need to get out of their system. And so we think about um, also enhancing our mood and things like that. But when we start thinking actually beyond that, there are so many other valuable benefits to play. And so sticking on the social skills aspect, we actually know now that um, there are so many of so many social skills development um, aspects to play. For instance, understanding how to initiate a conversation with somebody or join one that's already in progress or um, understanding what's enough and what's too much, kind of that negotiation of the social, we can call it hierarchies or just engaging with other people. So all those things happen naturally in the land of play and they're really important skills that we actually need as adults in all other aspects of our life. So that's one thing. And another, so I'm just picking two. One is the social skills and the other is cognitive development. And I pick these two because everybody is okay, I think, and pretty knowledgeable about the emotional benefits of play. But we don't take play seriously. And I do that with air quotes. Um, <laughs> right? So cognitively, play is a naturally integrated space for learning. You know, and by learning, again, we're thinking very broadly, but it's not just social skills and emotional skills. We're learning things like problem solving and emotional risk taking, cognitive risk taking, like trying something out and making a mistake and trying it again. So all these sort of cognitive benefits, um, learning how to make a strategy, right? Um, time management, because in most play, you have to kind of figure out, like, how long am I going to do this for? What should I do next? So that thinking forward, all that executive functioning of the brain is naturally being challenged in play and stimulated. So those are two big areas of play. I'm going to depart from the script because you said something that just was so intriguing to me. Mm -hmm. One of the things that you learn when you begin studying uh, uh, collaborative learning is to always give groups times to time to mess around in the beginning. Yes. Because people need to play yes. before they can get down to work and before mm. they can feel comfortable working. Absolutely, oh, right? Yeah. So when awesome. you think about new materials, like as adults, we've trained ourselves out of this. Yeah. But with children, um, you know, as an elementary school teacher, I taught kindergarten for many years. And so whenever you'd give them something new to try out, they need time to just mess around with it right. for a little while. And right. we know, you know, all the big all these big corporations now, they do that. They give people time to just mess around with ideas. Or mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. want something new and creative to happen, you have to have time to play with something, whether it's an object or an idea, mm-hmm. um, to be able to turn it sort of in your mind, right, in different directions, mm-hmm. and then think, I wonder what it would look like from this angle or that angle. So it's that creativity, divergent thinking, all that happens naturally in play. 
You know, given everything you've learned about play in the lives of young children, I'm wondering how you use that knowledge in, in your teaching. What is it that you draw upon in teaching university students? That's uh, something I've been thinking about a lot, too, now that I'm teaching at a university, <laughs> right? And um, so fortunately, a lot of research shows us that while childhood play is not only beneficial, but actually essential and critical for mm -hmm. our holistic growth, we actually need to play all throughout our lives until adulthood. Mm -hmm. And um, we, uh, we know that when we're playing as adults, so let's talk about, you talked about stress at the beginning of our uh, podcast here. So when we think about all the stress and anxiety that has been generated as a result of the pandemic and many other social movements and things, all these things going on right now in our world, um, play is a way that helps we can, you know, if we put it in academic terms, it's called lower the affective filter. But what it's doing is bringing down those crazy emotions a little bit and allowing us to just relax and engage with each other. So we need that in the college classroom right now, you know. Many people haven't been um, learning or they've been learning online for so long that um, when they come back, we're seeing the stress and we're seeing that discomfort in relating to one another. Some of it's just fear, safety-wise, you know, like, can I talk to you from even six feet away, or should I, is it better if we're just all quiet because of germs and all kinds of things, you know? Mm -hmm. So play helps create that kind of freer and more open space for people. Um, it helps us rebuild our social skills for a lot of us who've kind of mm -hmm. been away from that in this time. And then in a place like ours where, you know, we have so many first-generation students and all, it's also... We talked about emotional risk and cognitive risk earlier. So it helps with that. It helps us um, take risks in less high-stakes ways. So you're willing to make a mistake or be wrong, mm -hmm. right, rather mm -hmm. than looking dumb in front of everybody or messing it up on a test. Like so, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So it helps you prepare that. It kind of helps lay a foundation for when the other bigger work needs to happen as well. So when you were talking about lowering the affective filters, I was you know, here we are, the first week back, face-to-face. -face. Yeah. Is there a, a strategy that you'd suggest to your colleagues, some simple thing to do to lower the temperature in the room? So, you know, we actually, um, well, there, there are certainly stress reduction things, just like the breathing and sure. stretching. And mm -hmm. So, in fact, I literally do start my classes with, um, stretch. I call it stretch and focus. It's a remnant of my kindergarten days, but we do. We get up and we all stretch a little students bit. Students are students. And yes, and we all breathe, and the teachers need it we as well. <laughs> you know? So we all do some deep go. breathing together. But I play games, you know. Mm -hmm. So we played, like there's a game called Scategories, and it's a great little review or just a kind of mind opener, you know, where you come up with words for different categories of things, and you can throw in fun things like uh, food as one of the mm -hmm. categories, but my child development class, one of the topics we threw in there was, you know, children, mm -hmm. or play, or that's, that's what the class is about, so I want to know. It kind of primes their brain, and it also helps me assess a little bit, mm -hmm. like, okay, what do they already know? How are they thinking? And you can see patterns of thinking also in students. So there are great benefits to doing this. And it's also play is fun. Mm -hmm. And there's no rule that says learning can't be fun. And in fact, if it is fun, then your students keep coming back for more and want to go do a little more learning on their own. 
Well, along those lines then, and I heard you mention play and time management, and not that this is getting personal, but <laughs> what about our professional lives then? And, um, and, and what can play look like, and how can, how can that impact um, what we do professionally? Sure. So, you know, the first thing I think of is um, all the colleagues I've seen at this university who are doing different types of play in their classes. And it's really amazing. I mean, I've seen really rich, um, I think there's a presentation recently where someone in the pharmacy school had this entire game, right, built out with around the Hogwarts themes and things from Harry Potter. I've seen people in history, in the business school, in biology, in the English department. We're in education, we do this stuff too, you know. So there's a lot of professional um, enrichment, I think, for the people creating the games because we enjoy it more and we have a little bit of fun too. But specifically when we're thinking about our professional lives, we're also engaging with our creative side, um, divergent thinking for ourselves. And, you know, so if you're thinking about research, they're actually play con- there's a playful learning conference for playful learning in higher ed. It's in England you know, oh, okay. so even nicer, you can go travel to is out it, of the country. Is it always in England or ever in San Antonio? It hasn't been. There, there's a play conference coming in San Antonio, and that's this October, actually. Okay. So okay. there's an opportunity for research there um, for people to be presenting how we, you know, connect to. There's uh, people who study play in dolphins, for instance, mm-hmm. and a lot of our initial play studies actually happened in observing play in animals. And now we're starting to see um, relationships between how they play, animals play, and humans play. And we find there's a lot of similarity, you know. Finding humor, laughter, like apparently mice laugh. Really? Yes, they recorded this, yes. (laughs) So in the play studies, they find these things. That's cool. Well, you know, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about a story my son told me. So he's a software engineer, he writes computer code. And he was talking about how... he. He gets stuck. Funny thing, don't we all? Mm-hmm. And he said if he's just a little stuck, he can ride a bike or go swimming. But if he's really stuck, he needs to go play a game. He needs to go find somebody to play tennis oh. with or something like that. Right. And then he says he comes back and it's a different world. Yeah, and it's like unplugging. You have to unplug a little bit mm-hmm. and let that thing percolate in the back of your mind on its own. Mm-hmm. You know. And in fact, I've, I've read... Um, People talk about, you know, taking sabbaticals and things like that. What is that but a little opportunity to step away from what you normally do, your routines? Mm-hmm. And, you know, play, play doesn't have to be necessarily a sport mm-hmm. or playing, you know, backgammon or Monopoly or something. It, play can look so different. So um, it really depends on, it goes back to thinking about the definition of play, right? There's not a definition of play because it's studied by so many different disciplines and in so many different areas. So no one's really agreed on a definition of play, but there are certainly criteria, right? You have to want to engage in the activity voluntarily for it to be play. It has to be enjoyable or fun. Um, If you're deeply in your play, you kind of lose track of time, like you're in the zone, zone, right? That kind Mm -hmm. of a thing. And the activity, just the process of it, should be more engaging for you than the outcome. So when all these things are true, that's play. And for you, know, for you play may be very different than it might be for me. Mm-hmm. Well, this is, so, this is very eye-opening for me. So do you have suggestions for resources that, that we could go deeper 
Um, mm-hmm. And besides having a conversation with you, because it was so enlightening. But do you have resources that we could that we could um, and, and your college sure. could. So, I, you know, I always love my early childhood stuff, so I mm-hmm. certainly could send those along, but I'll send you along some links as well um, for Play Through the Lifespan. And mm-hmm. believe it or not, they're actually increasingly um, uh, institutions and organizations studying play and then talking about how can we, how can we use this in our, re- in our regular lives. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, there's a National Institute of Play there's um, something called Play Core. They do playgrounds and stuff, but they have a lot of studies about right. play in different ways in our regular lives, like our daily lives. Um, the Lego, you know, the Legos, mm-hmm. like the little blocks. So the Lego Foundation has um, uh, brought in some research. They've been doing research about play for kids. And then one of my favorite people, I'm going to, I brought this book to show you all. Um, it's called Play. How it shapes the brain, opens the imagination, and invigorates the soul. Like, who wouldn't want to do that, right? <laughs> who doesn't <laughs> you know, so soul invigorating? <laughs> so this is by I'll, Dr. I'll Stuart Brown, right? <laughs> <laughs> and he's a psychiatrist. And the, what's fascinating about him is that he actually ended up taking his whole career and studying violent criminals' um, backgrounds, and about 6,000 of them over his what, 40 years or something like that. And he found that a common thread in all of their backgrounds was the absence of free play or unstructured play in childhood because there were oh, just... circumstances. Or yeah. Yeah. So what's his name again, the author? Stuart Brown, with oh, okay. a U. Okay. And so um, I'll definitely send you the information for this book. And you can also find him on, like, TED Talks and, you know, YouTube Basically, there's a half-hour version that I always show my students, and there's like an hour-long version if you want to get more to it. But what I love, there are so many people out there speaking about play, but what I love about him is he brings in some of the animal videos that from the science and medical background, they tend to bring in like the examples of dogs playing or polar bears playing and helping us see like, you know, how, um, you know, there's a difference between a dog growling and a dog growling in play. Right? right, and so they talk about those sorts of things, and those are the sorts of things that we actually, as humans, do too. Right, like we kid around, and if we know each other, we kind of know what that play signal is. Right, the sarcasm mm-hmm. and things. But when you don't understand it, it can go awfully wrong. Right, no, that's true. <laughs> and we learn those things in play. So that's one. And then if you're looking for, not necessarily. Um, teaching children, but just want to know about play and children. This is a fantastic book. It's called The Hurried Child, Growing Up Too Fast, Too Soon, and it's by David Elkind. And um, there are, again, many, many good books out there about play. But this isn't, it's based on research, but anybody could enjoy reading it. And it's all about kids and play. And I think it's a theme that we see all too often these days. Well, we'll put the information on both of those things in the show notes and maybe a link to one of those TED Talks, too. Great. Um, we'd like to end with a, a question that is um, dear to both of our hearts, <laughs> Okay, okay so Kathy and I. Uh, so in your own life, who's the teacher you'll never forget and why? So that's an easy one for me. I've been through lots of school, so I can't have one. Okay, but I have one from elementary school, and it's always the same. It was Mr. Parker in third grade. <laughs> and, and I love Mr. Parker because... The big thing I remember from his class is we got to visit his farm. 
And that was what I learned what an apiary was because he had bee beehives, you know, in a chest of drawers. And um, I also remember that he had a fence for his cow. And I was the one student in the class who accidentally touched the fen and fence and got a shock. Yes. <laughs> but everybody thought, they like, laughed at me that day. But guess what? He brought a little charger <laughs> to school like the next oh, week. No. And everybody had to touch that <laughs> week except me because I'd already done Parker. it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a great guy. <laughs> he was great. So Mr. Parker was great. And then I had these two excellent professors when I was at UTSA. Um, learning how to be a teacher, and I would say they were, they have stuck out in my, stood out in my mind to this day because we did so many activities that were hands-on. So they taught us how to teach by by actually teaching that way, right? Mm -hmm. And there was a lot, there were a lot of play and games involved there too. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why I love them. <laughs> well, Deepti, thank you so much. Thank you for um, joining us for bringing all the the valuable information and wisdom, and it's. I can tell you have such passion that it is kind of, I want to read both the books. I, you know, I want to know more about it. So thank you so much um, for being here with us today. Again, thank you, thank you. Well, thank you, Kathy and Susan. I'm really honored to be a guest on this podcast. So we'll all go play. Let's go play. <laughs> the podcast, A Word on Teaching, addresses classroom issues in higher education. It is jointly produced by Instructional Technology Services and the Center for Teaching and Learning at University of the Incarnate Word in San Antonio, Texas. The producers are Kathy Bataro and Susan Hall. Adela Gott provides technical support.